Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I mean, here's a guy that criticizes everybody, whoever they take. He's got the answers to uh, who you should take and who you shouldn't take. And all of a sudden, he's an expert. He's in our paper two days ago telling us who we have to take. What's up, everybody? I am Joe DeLeon, and joining me on today's episode is Will McFadden, the host of Believe in Falcons. And we're going to be doing a crossover episode, as you've been maybe following along on the Believe SI site. We both dropped mock drafts last week. Very different. Both mock drafts were very, very different. We're so early on in this process that I love that we're getting a diversity of opinions, especially in the back end of the first rounds. A couple of things that we're going to get to on today's show. We're going to be comparing our mock drafts and sharing which picks maybe stood out the most to the opposing person. And we're going to break down the decision-making that might've gone in on those specific picks. Well, I'm going to start us off here because I think that the quarterback conversation right now has been so, it's already heating up. It's already very, (laughs) very controversial. There's no, Hey, let's maybe consider this or that. No, people are at each other's throats already. And it's not even the end of February with these talks about JJ McCarthy, Bo Nix, Jaden Daniels, all that stuff. Speaking of JJ McCarthy, you had him at number 20 overall to the Pittsburgh Steelers in your mock draft. And this isn't even a pick that like I maybe push back on or one that I disagree with. More than one, I think, that opens up a really big overarching conversation that is going to be had over the next month. So the first I want to ask you here, are you in the camp that JJ McCarthy that you think this is a guy that probably shouldn't go in the first round and will end up going because teams will fall in love? Or do you like him as a first round prospect? Bet Online remains your top spot for all of your live betting action and contests. NFL, college football, UFC, NHL are all in full swing. Bet Online is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions with both desktop and mobile access at any time. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code BELIEVE. That's B L E A V for 50% off your first deposit. That is a 50% welcome bonus. Bet online where the game starts. You know, I I think that a player like JJ McCarthy and even Bo Nix, who you've got mocked to uh, Atlanta number eight in your most recent mock, they're a little bit of the, the beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? And all it takes is one team to really fall in love with either of these quarterbacks, because there's a lot that you can nitpick with their game, but there are also a lot of throws where you're like, oh my God, that's that I'll take that any day of the week and twice on Sunday. And JJ McCarthy has a ton of those throws, even though he has kind of a smaller overall volume to work with in, in kind of the tape review. And the main thing for me, I think about Pittsburgh with JJ McCarthy and the reason, and kind of, by and large, I'm going about these mock drafts more as exercises because, mm. right, you mentioned it's so, so early at this point. I mean, we haven't had the combine. We haven't had free agency. A lot of these things are going to change. So right now, it's really, for me, just scenarios that seem fun or seem like it would really benefit the team in question. And so Arthur Smith now becoming the offensive coordinator in Pittsburgh, I, I fully believe that you know, if if they're going now, Mike Tomlin being the head coach, right? He's going to have the final say. But if if you're Arthur Smith, do you want to go into a season 
after just going into a season with Desmond Ritter that ultimately cost you your job with Mason Rudolph or Kenny Pickett or any like, no. And so I think that either of these, these two guys, Bo Nix or JJ McCarthy, who are to some people clear second round players, but mm-hmm. to others, you know, could sneak into that bottom of the first round. I think that they both fit kind of that Arthur Smith style of offense. Also that Sean McVay, LaFleur, Shanahan, just this newer era where you can maybe improve upon a quarterback with deficiencies. But to me, I like JJ McCarthy, I think a little bit more than Bo Nix because of kind of those specific throws that he brings. However, I do see some Desmond Ritter in JJ McCarthy at times. And that concerns me, but tell me about Bo Nix, you know, cause you've, you've got him going to the Falcons at eight. I being down here in Atlanta, I, would be very interested to see how that would come across. Yeah, uh, Bo Nix possibly ending up with the Falcons was more so the circumstance. And I, I, I didn't include any trades because we had really early on to like really feel out what these trades could be. I don't like to project them until a little bit later on. But I think that if they miss out on this opportunity to reset the quarterback room, and if they also don't go and trade for Justin Fields, which has been a highly rumored thing, they're going to need to go up and and get a guy and they're going to need to trade up and get somebody. So if they don't trade up and they miss out on what has been the consensus top three in whatever order you want to put them in and Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Jane Daniels, they're going to, I would feel like, be in this spot where you got to take the next best guy on your board. I feel like with the way that they were just burned with Desmond Ritter, like you talked about there, there are some similarities between Desmond Ritter and J.J. McCarthy that it might make sense to go with somebody who is a little higher floor, very experienced, uh, very quick, natural decision maker. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I think that Bo Nix is not a prospect. I, and to be clear here, JJ Bo Nix are guys that I don't even have first round grades on, but the NFL, I think, values these types of guys that are experienced, that make really quick decisions, get the ball out as quickly as possible. That is going to elevate the floor of what your offense is able to do and what you're able to produce in a period of time where over the past couple of years, there has not been, there's been really poor play at the quarterback position. So to get something that's a little bit more of a sure thing that is not as high ceiling, that is not going to get you to an all pro level, Bo Nix doesn't feel like that type of guy. He's never really going to ascend and reach that MVP conversation. But if I can get a Kirk Cousins type of a quarterback who's also been even brought up as maybe a potential option for the Falcons. Yeah. I think you got to take that chance just to get a little bit more solid footing at the position. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, my my feeling with the quarterback here in Atlanta is either you go that proven route and maybe you go with the Kirk Cousins for one or two seasons, which would be very similar to Matthew Stafford to a lesser degree in LA mm-hmm. where Zach Robinson comes from. Um, and also so does Raheem Morris. But I just I wonder that if the Bo Nix and JJ McCarthy, you know, to me, if you're going in this draft and maybe you clear the playing field in free agency with a lot of the other positions, I'm in favor of the big swing. Go up, get Drake May. Go up, get Jane Daniels. And I know that right now we're not doing trades. And so that may factor into the mix a little bit later on. So, I, you know, we can leave that for maybe a month or so down the road. But yeah, if if they're there at eight, there are some other players that I think outside of the quarterback position where maybe you get the top corner in this class or maybe you get the top edge rusher. And so the Falcons are definitely in a very interesting spot at number eight for the third year in a row. (laughs) 
Uh, to quickly talk about JJ McCarthy, though, just to share my thoughts on him. I, I'm admittedly I'm not in on him at all. And as somebody who has watched a lot of Daniel Jones as a Giants fan, somebody who you mm. know grew up in New Jersey, been way too exposed to Daniel Jones. I see a lot <laughs> of similarities between the two of them, where big, strong, physical guys that are going to be capable, really good runners, and can be a real strong facet to your run game if you design rushing plays for him. But for whatever reason, that internal decision-making just isn't there. And we saw that in the Rose Bowl on the first passing attempt, or it was the first drive, rather, where he tries to throw the ball out of bounds and he ends up almost getting picked off by Caleb Downs. I feel like there's so many plays littered in J.J. McCarthy's film that just are such red flags to me. He needs to go in a situation... I feel like that he is not going to play for two years, maybe even three years before he gets on the field because he is just not far along enough. I really wish he went back to school and maybe I'd feel a little bit better about this. And if he was smart, I think he would have gone back to school because there's already talks about how next year's quarterback class is not deemed to be very good by the NFL. And he could have been a top 10 pick if he showed some signs of progression and more impact as a passer. And the last bits of this year, I'm just really fearful of with with J.J. McCarthy is he was not the reason why they won. A lot of the times the reason why they won was because of the run game and a lot of times his mistakes had to get bailed out by their defense by the run game. So I'm just I'm super super cautious. Not so much me disagreeing with you putting him uh, in the top 20 because I think it's going to happen. I really think that the NFL is going to pull the trigger. Someone's going to trade up. Somebody's going to get him maybe even higher than 20. It sounds like there's a huge possibility of him going in the top 15. But I, I'm just saying whatever fan base or team gets him, be prepared because there's going to be a lot of highs and a lot of lows with a guy like this. And what you just said, though, is uh, the reason why I think he will go in the first round, because if he had stayed back a year and we'll call this the Christian Ponder corollary. But if he had stayed back, he probably would be the number one pick next or not number one, but number one quarterback mm-hmm. in the draft next year. So if you can get that at 20, if you can get that at 26, like, yeah, would you rather go ahead and get him now? and maybe sit him and do a Jordan Love route or something like that, then go for Carson Beck next year at seven overall, right? Like that's right. probably the calculus here. But I, so I love that you brought up the Giants because my first one that I really want to ask you about is Joe Alt to the New York Giants, because that's just one that I have not seen connected a lot. I've seen Joe Alt to the Chargers. I've seen Joe Alt to the Titans a ton Mostly to the Giants, it's been receiver. I've had, I think, Malik Neighbors to mm-hmm. the Giants in both of my mocks. Roma Dunze is a very popular pick there. So why do you see the Giants? Obviously, they need that offensive line help, but why are you prioritizing that in your mock over some of these receivers? So Malik Neighbors was somebody who I had go to the Giants the first time around, and I a lot of comparisons to Odo Beckham Jr. are going to get thrown out there, which is why that pick feels it just feels right. I wanted to go in mm-hmm. a different direction because... I found myself constantly doing this where I kept finding Malik Malik Neighbors on the Giants. And there is a discussion to be had where if you're the Giants, there's a lot of really good receivers and your second pick in the second round, at the beginning of the second round, you could still end up getting a really high, highly contributing receiver, whether it is... Lad McConkey, Xavier Leggett, uh, AD Mitchell. Now we're talking. I love both those guys, man. Lad There's and Xavier. so many options. Yeah. There's so many options. It's it's crazy the amount of and Jalen Polk is another guy who I really like from Washington who who could be on the board. But their offensive line 
was inconsistent last year because of injuries. But Evan Neal, to me, has proven that he's not a right tackle and he's not going to be a right, good right tackle. I feel like I'm wasting Joe Alt by putting him at right tackle. But at the same time, if you're the Giants and you've been trying to figure out this offensive line equation and you know that you need to get it right, don't waste the opportunity to get an all pro in Joe Walt, who is just such a rare player at his physical stature, his flexibility and all that stuff. And then move Evan Neal into guard who his balance isn't great. So he might be a little bit better if he's asked to play in the interior in more of a short area situation. So that's my big reasoning why I, I really like that, that possibility of getting Joe Walt at right tackle. I think that makes all the sense in the world, right? In a draft that is, and I feel like we've said this, three of the last like five draft classes generationally uh mm. you know talented at the wide receiver position yeah instead of maybe getting the the number two receiver right because marvin harrison jr is is the clear kind of number one at the position instead of getting your pick at, at the second receiver go with the number one offensive lineman and then in the second round you can double dip and still get mm. in pretty much any other draft class somebody who may be a first round pick so i really like the uh the logic there so, well, another pick in the top 10 that you had that really draw, drew my attention, the Bears at number nine taking Brock Bowers. And this is one that I actually had mentally toyed with, which is why I, it, it caught my attention. I ended up opting against it because of the simple fact that they've already got Cole Komet. But I, I'm, I really would love to hear your thoughts on this and why you went with Brock Bowers here with the Bears because it, it's an interesting discussion to be had on the value of having two tight ends that two, do two very different things. And if you've got two very productive tight ends, it could be very dangerous for Caleb Williams early on in his career. Yeah, and that's kind of why I ultimately decided to go in this direction, right? If, if the top receivers were off the board, I think that the Bears, because I view Brock Bowers as, and I've watched him throughout his career at Georgia, uh, you know, living down here in Atlanta and being a former Georgia Bulldog, so <laughs> very, very well uh, versed in Brock Bowers. I view him as just this really versatile weapon, right? If he landed in San Francisco, he'd be like a perennial all pro because they would know how to use him. And I think that the Bears have kind of been missing that element to this. And if they don't hit on or if the the top top receivers are gone off the board i think you could see a situation where let's go ahead and add uh who we feel may be the best offensive skill weapon on the board at this point and then they can double dip with receiver later on but i think as you just said if they go with caleb williams early on getting him some more of these safety valve players you've already got dj Moore in place so you've got kind of your your big name star receiver there that hopefully you can develop instant chemistry with but if and the big asterisk here is caleb williams's style of play and actually the more that i dig into caleb williams i'm kind of like i feel like i'm getting the ick with him a little bit because i'm <laughs> just like man does every like what happens if you have eight seconds left on the clock at the end of the first half and you want to get two plays off i just feel like that's never going to happen with caleb williams oh, he's no. going to take 12 seconds to throw the ball in the first play so uh, a tight end you would have to coach him into that and say, look, here's your safety valve. But Brock Bowers is also so good all over the field, short area, intermediate and deep, that he could be the type of scramble drill player who is still also a safety valve for a quarterback like this. Um, he is a good blocker. He brings a lot to the table. I mean, we've been talking about Brock Bowers for the last 
three years, it feels like. You guys don't need me to reiterate what he does so well. It was more about the way that the board fell and still being able to get an elite weapon for your young quarterback. And, and that's kind of why I ultimately went with Brock Bowers at, at number nine. Other part two here is commit, I want to say, is not too far off from an extension. And as we've mm-hmm. seen, investing in tight ends has been very, very hit or miss for that second contract. So like Darren Waller hasn't really worked out and gets traded and hasn't worked out with the Giants. And, you know, I think of guys like Austin Hooper, who hasn't mm-hmm. necessarily lived up to Hunter Henry's a guy that, that I think of immediately that didn't really pan out for the production for that you would have hoped for what he was being paid. So the hit or miss nature of some of these tight ends that are similar to Cole Komet, it could benefit them to get Bowers and then just let Komet test free agency. And then you've got your, you know, your tight end uh, safety valve figured out for Caleb Williams for that long-term future for the Bears. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you can get a player like Brock Bowers for, you know, pick up that fifth year option, you've got him five years, hopefully you're coinciding with your, and that's, those are cheap, weapons to really yeah. have in your arsenal offensively. Um, I want to pivot to the defensive side of the ball, though, and and one team that I think we are very, very much in sync with, and you can almost kind of circle that position, is Houston. Um, and I think it, at number 23, you've got Jazan Newton going mm-hmm. there, and I have had um, Murphy from Texas as kind of my pick there as well. So it really feels like out of that defensive line, you went with Will Anderson, the offense it looks like you know they can't do anything wrong offensively in Houston right now. So that does free you up to maybe address and focus on the defensive side of the ball. Why do you like them to go defensive line in particular instead of maybe one of these top cornerbacks or you know maybe pick one of the top linebackers off the board? Why is it that interior of the defensive line for you? Yeah, I want to say that the where they were picking a lot of the corners in my mock draft were pretty much already off the board, so it made it a little tricky I mean, for you them. You got but Cooper I, DeGene going right after him. Like I, I love Cooper as, as a player. Yeah, that's a that's a good point that that Cooper DeGene could have made some sense there. But the the big thing that drew me to this was thinking, okay, Will Anderson did so well as a rookie, and his production is only going to continue to increase. How do I capitalize that so that this, on that so that this guy doesn't stagnate in his progression and his production and his improvement as a player? I find him somebody to play opposite of on the other defensive end spot, which in the past I've I've gone Dallas Turner, I've gone Braylon Trice, or I find somebody in the middle that is going to eat up double teams and that is going to create opportunities for him to be one-on-one, which is Jerjon Newton. He is the most disruptive defensive tackle in this class on a consistent basis. I think he's the most well-rounded defensive tackle despite being on the shorter side. Very physical, um, very, very powerful, so low to the ground. He's one of those guys where you ask about all these other uh, interior linemen that that had to face off with him. They couldn't get underneath him, kind of like that Aaron Donald effect, not -hmm. comparing him to Aaron Donald, but the effect of he's so low to the ground, you can't get underneath him. So that leads to a lot of really easy pressures on his part. The disruption that he is going to create diverts attention away, and that to me is going to make a really dangerous unit. I think that there's a lot of good defensive tackles in this class, but if Newton is on the board and you're the Texans, and if you're um, D'Amico Ryans, who has coached some really good defensive lines, having another really brutal piece to deal with in Jerjon Newton, I think it could just be so, so dangerous for the Texans. I that's exactly kind of why I had him going uh, to Houston as well is 
and Grady Jarrett, right, here in Atlanta is a very yeah. similar player. It is that leverageability. It's that one-gap aggressiveness. And, you know, being able to pair him with talent along the defensive line with Will Anderson, I know they're going to lose Jonathan Greenard, but, like, if you can keep putting the pressure on individual offensive linemen, we kind of saw in the Super Bowl how if you make everybody have to have these one-on-one matchups – you can really impact the quarterback that way. And so I think that continuing to add to the mm. defensive line there in Houston with an aggressive mindset, not just somebody who's eating blocks, but somebody who's going to out leverage these blocks, get off these blocks and then attack up field. That makes all the sense in the world to me. So the last one that I had, Will, that I really loved in your mock draft was Brian Thomas Jr. going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers yeah. uh, at 26. He is with the combine coming around a possible candidate to really shoot up boards because from what I've heard, he's going to put up some just ungodly numbers for his size at six foot four, two Oh five. He is so freaking fun to watch because of what he does vertically. doesn't have a super diverse route tree, but in one year is like a full-time starter. He was able to take a couple of routes that he ran and run them to perfection and was so hard to keep up with. And I look at the situation now with the Buccaneers and you giving you know, giving Thomas to them. If potentially you lose Mike Evans this offseason, you really badly need some weapons. And I think Brian Thomas Jr., if he goes 26 overall, could be the steal of the first round. It could be, and I know I, it's so easy to continually make these cliches with LS, uh, LSU wide receivers, but he could be the Justin Jefferson of this, this first mm. round where we're like, why did this guy go behind all the other guys again? This guy is so freaking good. I really like that. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think back to like Calvin Ridley in 2018 too, when he drops all the way to Atlanta at like 20 and you're just kind of like, what did everybody else miss? Because it looks like this guy is really, really good. And when you watch Brian Thomas, you're like, this guy's really, really good. And I, I know that he would be kind of the Mike Evans replacement down in Tampa Bay. But the player that I actually comped him to in my mock draft was more Mike Williams from the Chargers. And mm. obviously you hope that the injury history does not translate over to uh, Brian Thomas, but it is just that downfield ability, the you know, the athleticism down the field to make some of these leaping catches, that you know, speed to break away from defenders when you do get the ball in your hands. He does have just kind of everything. And it is interesting to me, and maybe we will see this change in the coming kind of weeks and months, him kind of creeping up a little bit closer to the pack because it feels like you've got the clear top tier and even a tier within that top tier, right, with Marvin Harrison junior kind of maybe like half a percentage point higher than Romo Dunze and and Malik neighbors. But then behind them, there's like seven guys that you could love. And so I kind of want to roll this forward into my final question for you, because I just want to talk about all these receivers down there at like number 32 for the chiefs, because it kind of feels like they could really attack that area at the end of the first round and have their pick of Troy Franklin, Brian Thomas, Jr. Keon Coleman, like Tez Walker, any of these guys So Brian Thomas Jr. stands out to me with his kind of dynamic playmaking ability. The fact that he was on a big offense, he was able to corral a ton of these deep shots from Jaden Daniels. And you saw it in that one year of just immense production. If he is anywhere close to that ceiling he showed, he could emerge as one of the best just like long-term wide receivers where, yeah, in 10 years we look back and we're like, cool, the Buccaneers drafted Mike Evans. They've not regretted that for a second. You could feel the same way about a Brian Thomas Jr., but I feel that way about a lot of these wide receivers. So at the back end of the first round, who do you love in this class? 
Yeah, there are just so many options as we get to the back end of the first round. And I want to say that I've got I, I we did my wider our wide receiver rankings on the show yesterday. And I have right now I have nine guys with a top 50 grade or higher in the at the receiver position, which is mm. you know pretty significant. That means they're draftable within that back end of the first round. And the guys that I have there, Lad McConkey is somebody who is going to be a part of that convo for the Chiefs, who smaller, more shifty slot guy. Uh, Xavier Leggett, who is just a big, strong receiver who's going to test very well vertically. Jalen Polk was the guy who I ended up projecting for the Chiefs. He is going to bring up a lot of conversations and I think is going to test well at the NFL Combine. He is so strong as a route runner and so fluid and bendy in the way that he moves in and out of his breaks. I think that Polk could end up being a really big steal that's not getting enough love. But there are just so many options. You mentioned Devontae Walker, who didn't look good at the Senior Bowl, who is a great vertical deep threat that you know Drake May took huge advantage of and was the really his go-to guy as soon as he came back this past year. And then Troy Franklin, another player, Ricky Pearsall's one. Jermaine Burton is is another. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pearsall from Florida, Burton from uh, from Alabama. We could keep going down this list. I think that the big key here with the end of the first round and then early second round is that a team can pick based on body type play style. You know, yes. they don't have to feel like, oh, this is the highest guy on our board and there's not a lot of great options after him, so we just need to pull the trigger. There is going to be so many easy opportunities for them to be really specific in who they're looking for. I Lad McConkey is probably a player who I need to give a little bit more love. Again, I have watched him at Georgia. Like he is so so good and I expect him if if you're telling me that the Chiefs take him at 32, right? I mm-hmm. I'm just convinced he's going to be what Wes, Wes Welker was for Tom Brady for so many years. Like I'm just convinced that's going to work. I also and I just had this thought, so tell me if I'm wrong about this and we can keep it quick cuz I know we're going to wrap up here. But if you're if you're Miami, why not draft Lad McConkey, right? Why not pair him and his underneath ability and with the stretching field nature of you know Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill and that speed, and it's almost like you could force the defense to vacate that intermediate middle mm-hmm. area of the field and just let Lad McConkey go to work with some of these precise timing routes that Tua does so well and that offense kind of builds around. So you have both that big strike nature but also that ability to pick your way down the field, which defenses now want you to do. I mean, Ladd McConkie in in so many different offenses could open things up, and he may be like an X factor in this first round for me. I like that idea. The only thing that I would slightly push back on is that I feel like because they have so many guys that are in that body type, you know, the the five foot 11 and under, that like if they do draft a receiver, I feel like they would need to go with uh, a Xavier Leggett, somebody that's a little bit more bigger body that is going to be a little bit more physical. I also think that one one position that hasn't even really been brought up, I feel like early with the t- uh, with the Dolphins, they need to get a tight end. Durham Smythe was fine, yeah. and that was played that role that you're talking about here, where he's a little bit underneath because he's not somebody who's a, an athletic freak that's going to stretch a defense up the middle. He's not Travis Kelsey, but getting somebody to fill that role, I completely agree. They do need to get somebody. It would be really crazy to see, and I know that McDaniels would probably be that type of a coach to say, I don't care, I'm going to keep getting these small, shifty, explosive receivers. He's almost built his entire roster on guys that fit that physical profile, so I wouldn't put it past him. Like I, That's why that you bringing that up makes so much sense to me because I look at the fact that they've got Mostert, they've got A-Chain, Tyree Kill, and Jalen Waddell are all six foot and under, 
are on the lighter <laughs> side and run yeah. a four four or faster, and Lam McConkey is going to run a four four or faster. So it makes perfect sense to me. I, I think that'd be crazy if they ended up with Lam McConkey. It, it would be. I think it'd be one of those where, like, right after the pick, you'd get everybody on the desk there being like, "Whoa, didn't see this coming." <laughs> Let's talk about how fun this could be. And then they're putting up all the graphics of like all the receivers, what two has got to work with. But mm. yeah, I mean, that's cornerback, offensive line, wide receiver. The the premier positions in the first round of this draft are so much fun to talk about, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm juiced up to see how things really start to progress more in these conversations. And it's it was fun to hear dissect your second mock draft, my third mock draft. We're going to be doing uh, hopefully more of these as we drop our, our mock drafts throughout this cycle. So everybody appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on whichever feed you're tuning in on. You can follow me at Joe DeLeon. Will, what's your Twitter handle? I should have wrote it down. <laughs> at Will McFadden. Very <laughs> That's simple. That's what I thought it was. Uh, <laughs> at Will McFadden. Uh, folks, thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll be back with more. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.